today we're going to continue. We, you know, we started last week um, a series on all about spiritual gifts. And today we're going to continue our study on, on all about spiritual gifts with an in-depth look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which probably contains the most exhaustive treatment of spiritual gifts in all of the Bible. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. Now, the Corinthians, they were gifted people. I mean, they had it together as far as spiritual gifts. Um, in fact, in 1 Corinthians, the uh, first chapter and verse 7, Paul said to them, you do not lack any spiritual gifts. You see, the, the church of Christ in downtown Corinth, they had all the gifts. They had it going on with spiritual gifts. But um, if you remember, as I talked about last week, spiritual giftedness, you know, has very little correspondence with Christian character or Christian maturity. They're two different things. And with that said, you need to understand that the church at Corinth, the Corinthian church there, it was a disaster when you look at that. Every once in a while, I'll hear someone wanting to debate doctrine. They'll say something like, um, well, this is what they did in Corinth, you know. But any Bible student knows, if they know anything about the background of the Corinthian epistles there, they, knows that, they know that when you cite Corinthians as a biblical precedent for something that... Uh, you know, for something, you've probably just sabotaged your own argument when you use them. You see, if they did it that way in Corinth, it's probably a very good indicator that that's not the way we need to do it. You see, as a matter of fact, there was one, one author, one commentary on 1 Corinthians. Um, he entitled his section there, The Corinthian Catastrophe. Um, that's the way he looked at it. Because almost anything that you could imagine going wrong in a church had gone wrong in Corinth. I mean, this was, this was the precedent that they, they set. They were a troubled church. They were a disastrous church. Now, some backstory to get us up to where we want to start today. This church was divided into cliques, major cliques. And it also was divided, had warring factions going on. Immorality was rampant in the church at Corinth. One member was living openly in an incestuous relationship. And Paul, he had to rebuke the elders there at Corinth for being too cowardly to exercise church discipline. You know, this church, they had some problems here. Brothers in Christ were dragging each other into secular courts into lawsuits. That's what was going on. Marriages was breaking down. Divorces was running rampant. And in all kinds of elements of the local pagan cultural uh, culture, uh, you know, the idol worship and the humanistic philosophy and false doctrines and pagan rituals, they were just being dragged right into the life of the congregation and mixed up, mixed all in, and confused with the pure doctrine, you know, and practice that they should have been teaching. So it was a mess there in this Corinth church. A radical feminist movement 
in the local culture had influenced many of the church's women. Some were manifesting blatantly um, a rebellious spirit, disregarding not only uh, propriety and tradition, but they were discarding the clear and the administrative teachings of the apostles. I'm telling you, when you read 1 Corinthians, you'll see that this was a troubled, troubled church. Something else had happened. We can't hardly fathom. But the Lord's Supper was being abused so badly that God actually caused some in the church to become sick and some even to die as a chastisement for their disrespect and disregard for His body. Folks, that's one of the reasons we take the Lord's Supper so seriously here. The Lord wants it done right. When it comes to that time, I am so glad during that time there's no music playing, there's no nothing, it's just you and God. You know, you can have that moment with God to do the things that you're supposed to do. And then finally, we come to chapter 12 here where we'll pick up. And Paul writes to correct all kinds of misunderstandings and abuses of spiritual gifts. And this is the section that we want to look at today. Well, starting this morning, I want us to just go through the instructions of this chapter, and I want us to highlight 10 facts about spiritual gifts. But understand, we're not going to do all 10 of them today, and I'll tell you why. You know, the last series we had, the sermons were lengthy, and because of that, we even cut a song out of the service, and we didn't do our missions moment that month. For two months, I think, we didn't do that. And that's important, and we want to bring that back. So this sermon was a good one for me to just preach part of it and save a little piece for next week as well as our missions moment so we can get caught back up on that because that's very important too. So 10 facts about spiritual gifts. So you may want to save your outlines. Sure, certainly we'll print some more for next week, but you may want to save those for next week as well. Starting with verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. So fact number one is a point that I made actually last week. God wants us to know about spiritual gifts. He wants us to be clear on this. This is one area of the Christian life that he wants to be crystal clear. He doesn't want there to be any confusion or lack of knowledge about spiritual gifts. Oftentimes, it's a subject that we just kind of skirt around. But So I thought we, this would be a good time to look at what Corinthians says about spiritual gifts. Look at verse 2 and 3. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can't say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, with that said, it's obvious, apparently, there were some in the Corinthian church, they were still being influenced um, and led astray, just as they had been before they give their life to Jesus Christ. Now, Paul wants the church to become very discerning or more discerning over spiritual gifts. So he shares with them here a couple of rather obvious tests by which they can discern 
whether someone is speaking about the Spirit of God or if they're under the influence of demons. He says, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. You know, it is, it's hard to imagine, but apparently that's exactly what was happening in the uh, confusion of their worship services. People claiming to be exercising spiritual gifts were actually cursing Christ right there in the church service. You know, this is tough. I can't imagine that going, I would be afraid. I'd be afraid that I would be like a French fry, fried up and gone right then. And God would zap me on the spot. That would scare me to death. Now, this brings up fact number two. Spiritual gifts can be counterfeited by Satan. Spiritual gifts can be counterfeited by Satan. You know, when it comes to exercising um, of spiritual gifts, especially as a church, we must become very discerning. We must look at what we're doing because we know that this is one area where the enemy has and he does attempt to invade our lives. Um, now, this phenomenon didn't just happen in Corinth. It happened several times throughout the history of the church. It's still going on. Look in 1 John chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. The apostle writes this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Folks, you know as well as I do, every time that God gives us a wonderful gift, when he gives a wonderful gift to his children, Satan comes along and he tries to pervert it and he tries to destroy it. You know, God gave us the wonderful gift of sexuality to facilitate um, intimacy and joy in the marriage relationship. But Satan come along and he tries to pervert it. You know, he successfully made sex something dirty and something dangerous when God did not intend it that way. God also give us plants and herbs and, and, and various elements, you know, that can be manipulated to produce drugs and medicine for our health and for our healing. But what does Satan do? He comes along and he entices man to abuse those substances all the time. He utilizes these good things as a means to enslave us and to destroy our lives. You know, Satan is that way. Everything good that God gives us, Satan tries to distort it. He tries to destroy it. God gave his church spiritual gifts, but Satan comes along and he counterfeits them. You know, and instead of leading people to a, a greater understanding and, and to a deeper faith and praise of the praise of Christ, Satan uses them um, to produce confusion and to produce doubt and to produce the, the, the cursing of Christ. You see, you've heard me say this before. Satan is a master at his craft. So everything good that God gives us, including these spiritual gifts, Satan tries to destroy them. Now, from the very beginning 
of the Bible, to the end of the Bible, we can see Satan counterfeiting the miraculous gifts of God. You can see it from the first part of the book all the way to the end of the book. You remember the story of Moses at God's command? You know, first he told Pharaoh, let my people go. You remember that story? You know, and as a demonstration of, of God's power, Moses, he threw down his staff and immediately they, that staff turned into what? A snake, exactly. Now, the way I feel about snakes, if I'd have been Pharaoh, that would have been enough. It'd have been over with. You know, I would have invo- I would have avoided the ten plagues right there. You know, just one snake in my house would have gave me the proper attitude adjustment right there. But Pharaoh wasn't impressed with this. You remember why? Well, Pharaoh called his own holy men, you know, on the scene to throw down their staffs, and they too became snakes. Well, of course, we know the end of the story. You know that Moses' snake immediately slivered over and swallowed up Pharaoh's snakes. But still, that was an impressive trick. You know, that was still right impressive. In Revelation, we read that, you know, about the false prophet and the beast who empowered, who was empowered by Satan. He performed all kinds of signs and wonders to cause the whole world to marvel. So you can remember, folks, Satan can counterfeit any spiritual gifts. So we must become a very discerning people in this area. It's something we need to take watch of. Fact number three, there are a great variety of gifts. There are a great variety of gifts. Verses four through six. There there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, probably a good analogy to help us understand the great variety of spiritual gifts is that of the many hues of color. You see, you and I, we may both have a spiritual gift of teaching, but those gifts, they may appear differently to other people, just like there's so many different shades of a color. If you are just a novice painter, if you don't do that for a living, and you scratch your white wall and say, well, I'm going to go to Lowe's, and I'm going to get some white paint. When you get to Lowe's, how many colors of white paint? Or how many colors of red are there? You see, there are some reds that's almost orange. There are some reds that are almost purple. There's a whole spectrum of red, and that's the way it is with spiritual gifts. There's a whole spectrum of spiritual gifts. Now, in these three verses here, there's three interesting Greek words in this verse that I want us to just take a look at here. First of all, the root word for gifts is charisma, you know, from which we get our word charismatic. And that word simply means gifted. That's what it means. And secondly, you know, Paul goes on to say that there are also all different kinds of service. Now, the root word for that is diacona. Um, And it's translated service or ministry, or administration. In other words, there are a variety of gifts. There are also a variety of means of expressing um, and using those gifts. And then third, Paul says there's a variety of workings. And the Greek word is energama. 
which we get our word energy from. And usually it's translated working or effects. So we've got different gifts. We have different ministries. We have different effects here. See, two people, they can have the same gift of teaching, but one is probably most effective with large crowds, while with a large crowd, while the other's gift has more um, a one-on-one or a small group focus. You know, one's gift of teaching may really encourage people and help them in very practical ways. Um, whereas the other um, um, person's gift, you know, it may be more confrontational, you know, and bring people under a deep conviction, you know, a, a, about a need for radical change in their life. Both are teachers, but both of them have different gifts, you see. There are a variety of gifts. There are a variety of ways to express those gifts in ministry. And there are a variety of effects that can result from those ministries. But it's the same spirit that is working through all of us, through all of this variety. Folks, each one of us have different spiritual gifts but it's, we all have the same spirit that we're working for. We're all working for the same goal here. We do it in different ways. You have gifts that I don't have. I have gifts maybe that you don't have. But moving along here, verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Now I want to make two points from this verse. Fact number four is this. Everyone is given a different gifts or cluster of gifts. Everyone is given a different gift or cluster of gifts. You know, you may get several shades of red. You may get several shades of yellow, and you may only get one shade of blue, which when all of those gifts combine together, they create really in your life a unique cluster or a combination of gifts. And basically, if you read verses 8 through 11, and I think I printed it there for you, it tells us to each one a different manifestation of the Spirit is given. So each one of us gets a different gift. See, Christians, we're like snowflakes. No two of us are the same. But we're still snowflakes. But we're different, you see. And when it comes to figuring out how we are supposed to minister in the body of Christ, it's important for us to understand that. I don't have to be like you. You don't have to be like me. You see, the last thing that we want in the church is for our members to all line up like little ducks in a row and quack the same way. We don't do it that way. You see, the strength in the body of the church is the variety of gifts that operate within it. You know, and I like to think we have many gifts in this church. We may not all use them, but there's many gifts that's been given in this church. Different leaders with different styles, different mercy givers, you know, each with a different approach of dispensing God's love and His mercy. You know, each gifted helper you know, is to be an individual who works in their own unique way, and that's God's design for the body. You see, that's why it's important to play your game. We talked about this last week. Play your game. Play the game that God has given you, that he's gifted you 
to do. You don't have to be like anyone else. Now, fact number five, it goes with the same verse. All gifts are given for the common good. All gifts are given for the common good. Now, folks, this is a very important point here. Remember, we talked about last week, the purpose of a spiritual gift is to serve as a channel through which the Holy Spirit can minister to others through you. That's what it is. The purpose of spiritual gifts is not self-edification. People get that confused all the time. The purpose of spiritual gift is not self-edification. God did not give me a gift to teach or to preach so that I'd feel good about myself. He didn't do that. So that once a week, you know, I'd get a, a little ego boost by having people tell me what a blessing I am. He didn't give me a gift for that. And listen, any gifts that I have were given to me for your benefit. And Woody was talking about that this morning in Sunday school class. Any gifts that were given to me were given to me for your benefit, not mine. And God has given you gifts to minister to me. That's the way it works. This is important. You know, sometimes people, they have a problem with this. You know, people want to lead because maybe it makes them feel important to be a leader, important to be up front, or important to be seen. However, spiritually gifted leaders, they will want to lead because they have a consuming passion and a concern for the flock of God and the cause of His kingdom. That's why they want to lead. You know, there are some people, they want to only be involved because it fulfills some ego um, need in their lives. We need to avoid that kind of stuff so that others, you know, will see their good works and will think highly of them. Those are the kind of things we need to watch out for. We need to steer away from that. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew, the fifth chapter and verse 16. He said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus said in Matthew 6, um, he says, when you give, he said, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Folks, listen to me here. Whatever your spiritual gifts are, they were given to you so that the body of Christ might be built up in their faith. That's why we have those gifts. They were not given to you to further some of your selfish agenda. Remember, one of the, one of the marks of maturity in the Christian life is love. And folks, love is concern for others. Love is selfless. Love makes sacrifices to meet the needs of others. Verse 7 here, to teach one... Uh, the manifestation of the Spirit is, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That word common good is important in that sentence. You know, and that's the purpose of the gift of prophecy. And that's the purpose of the gift of leadership. And that's the purpose of the gift of speaking in tongues. Now, when I say that, I was thinking in my mind, you know, someone will say, now, wait a minute, preacher. Didn't Paul say in the very next chapter um, that he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself? Well, that's my, exactly my point here. You know, in 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul, with just biting sarcasm, he's pointing out how some in the church at Corinth 
were abusing their spiritual gifts. And you know, if it wasn't important, it wouldn't be in there. But it is important, and it's something that we need to look at. You know, Paul says there that the real goal of gifts in the church is to edify others because God gave us those gifts for the common good. Now look at verse 8. In verse 8 through 11, Paul here, he begins a list of some of those gifts. And of course, this is not an exhaustive list by no means, but it's a few illustrations. It says, to one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each one just as He has determined. Now, fact number six. All of the gifts are under the Spirit's administration. All of the gifts are under the Spirit's administration. Now, we are all different in our giftedness. You may have gifts that I don't have. I may have gifts that you don't have. We may even have the same gifts, but they will be presented differently because of our different personalities, because what the Spirit has given us. You know, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit has so designed the body of Christ that each of us has unique roles, you know, and we're we're seeking to accomplish the same goals. You know, we play differently. And that goal is to build up the church that that Christ might be honored and His glory manifested in the world. That's what we're to do as a church. And even though a novice, you know, may, or a novice spectator may come by and look and it looks like all these Christians are doing different things. But you and I know deep down that it's the same Holy Spirit, you know, who's like a, a, great, like a great conductor leads the orchestra of the church, you know, creating one beautiful symphony. Folks, it is important that we play our part, to play our game in accordance to what the Holy Spirit has given us. You know, it's important that we do that. And if you play your part, and if I play my part, according to what the Holy Spirit has given us, great things will be accomplished. That is the way God designed the church. That's the way he set it up. And that's what Paul is telling these folks here. You see, someone plants, someone else may water, and several people may water. And then what happens? God gives the increase. So it takes all of us collectively here doing the part that the Holy Spirit has given us. And each one is different. I'm not to be like you. You're not to be like me. We're to be like the Holy Spirit has guided us to be. You see, those gifts are special. But we don't look at them. Now, we're going to continue this sermon next week. But we're going to stop it here.